What is up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On Tigers. I am your host, Chris Castellani. It is Thursday, March 4th. Put a little English on that Thursday. Thursday, March 4th, 2021. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Today is a crossover show. I'm going to spend a part of the next two shows doing a crossover with my new friend Jeff Ellis, host of Lockdown Indians. We talk about that organization extensively, where they've been going, what's been going on with them. I didn't talk a whole lot about the Callaway Francona stuff because I just wanted to focus on baseball. That guy's had to cover that enough. We talk about the Lindor trade, talk about where they're going, and ultimately he gives me a little prediction about where he thinks the Indians will finish in 2021. That will be in two parts. The first part will air today, second part will air tomorrow, and every week leading up to the season, I will be doing a crossover show with another AL Central Locked On host, so really looking forward to sharing that with you. Tigers played a spring training game yesterday, let's talk about it. There is not a whole lot to discuss offensively here. Nico Goodrum went 2-for-2, two two. Torkelson 0-for-1 with a strikeout looking, Riley Green 0-for-2 but did draw a walk. Isaac Paredes seems like he's making good contact. There was one weird thing, and that's that Eric Haas, a catcher, who's been a catcher his whole career, was put in left field at one point. So it looks like AJ's really trying to push the utility player stuff. Where I want to focus today in this first segment is on the pitching. Because Daniel Norris started, went two innings, faced seven batters, looked really good. Two scoreless innings, two strikeouts. It is so weird what's happened to him. Because I was I was done with Daniel Norris. I mean, I thought he was just a complete flop. He has weirdly found some velocity over the last year or so. Last year he was you know he wasn't always great, but he was pretty darn good out of the pen a year ago. Now I don't want him touching the starting rotation. I, I don't. I, I want the starting rotation to be the five best pitchers who have established or at least established numbers in the minor leagues, if you want to include Mize or Manning or Scooball. I think this is a guy as a lefty with his stuff. He just works better as a, as a mid-reliever, long-relief kind of guy. I think that Hinch could really do some neat things with him as maybe an opener if they want to go that route or maybe as the occasional spot starter. But as an every fifth day starting pitcher going five, six innings, I, I don't want that. I, I'm not a fan of that. I, I prefer to have him coming out of the pen. With that said, he looked very, very good yesterday. The stuff is just sharper, because that's what was weird about Norris, is that when he came to Detroit in 2015, I remember being like, man, this guy's stuff is electric. Like, he was part of the David Price deal, and I saw, like, that kind of David Price build, David Price kind of athleticism in him. I'm like, man, this might end up being a great trade. And in 2016, he was all right. And then in 2017, all of a sudden, his stuff just became a lot worse, and he's just kind of been middle of the road. I mean, even below middle of the road. He hadn't been very good. Then all of a sudden, last year out of the pen, seemed like he'd started to find it, and hopefully that continues. Uh, the issue with him has always kind of been his mechanics. He's always been a bit of a wild man. I hope he, I hope he finds something. Again, I really do, because that would be nice to at least get something, good Lord, out of the price deal, and I'm not counting Boyd, because he had a one year where he had 250 strikeouts or whatever it was. I think it was 240-something. Buck Farmer got roughed up. That's a guy I'm not really worried about. I, I can't believe I've said this, because I, I probably made the guy into a meme so many times, but Buck Farmer is is a professional major league pitcher. He is. So, like, what he does in spring training, it, it does not impact me. He is a veteran guy going out there and doing veteran f- things, trying to make adjustments. He's going to earn his spot in the bullpen, and he should. He's earned that right. He's been good enough here over the last several seasons. Him struggling yesterday, trying to get that slider over, which he's been really trying to develop, he said on the broadcast to Dan Dickerson. 
that he believes that his fastball changeup combo was getting a little bit predictable a season ago. He did struggle. They talked about that on the broadcast. Dan Dickerson, so great to hear his voice yesterday for the spring training game, talked all about that. But the one guy I wanted to, to hone in on who pitched yesterday, one of the Tigers' big prospects, was Matt Manning. Matt Manning, one of the highest-rated prospects in baseball, did not see any major league action a season ago. Pitched two innings yesterday, two innings, one hit, no runs allowed, no walks, and one strikeout. I've been afraid to kind of give my opinion on Matt Manning over the last year, year or so. I have never denied that he has maybe the highest ceiling in the organization. He has the hardest fastball in the organization. He has a live arm, and he's cleaned up his mechanics. I've acknowledged all of that. With that said, outside of impressive double-A numbers and a firm fastball, I've never seen anything out of Matt Manning that has made me say, that guy's clearly ready to pitch in the major leagues. Every time I've seen him pitch against major league talent, he's thrown 100 miles per hour. That's neat, but he got roughed up. He's given up doubles and, and, and hard-hit singles and home runs. Yesterday to me, and I've seen the footage now, thankfully, somebody shared it with me, was by far the best he's ever looked, in my opinion. The, the mechanics are refined. They're clean. He was repeating his delivery. Fastball was maybe down a tick in velocity, which people are freaking out about, but 93 to 95, I'm not worried about that. You know, I'd rather, I'd go ahead and throw 93 right now. By the time the season comes around, yeah, I'd like to see 97, 98, but not concerned. What did make me happy was how much better his off-speed stuff looked. Curveball looked a lot sharper. Looked like he was mixing in, like, I couldn't see. It was kind of a weird angle, but maybe like a, a cutter or a slurve in there at some point. I would really like to see him develop that third pitch, and I think that's what he's really been focusing on. You know, it's two innings, and, and the the sad thing about spring training is that it is such a small sample size. Like, if Matt Manning doesn't give up a run in spring training, he's still probably only going to pitch 15 innings or something like that, so it's kind of hard to gauge the true effectiveness of a pitcher. I'd still be shocked if he makes the team out of spring training, but yeah, I'd been I'd been really pushing back against the whole Matt Manning's going to be the best pitcher in this organization narrative because I'd seen Scooball look like a major league pitcher. Like Outside of how they pitched a year ago, Scooball was all right after his first couple starts. Mize was downright bad. I'd seen Mize pitch against major league talent and look like a major league pitcher. I'd seen Scooball pitch against major league talent and look like a major league pitcher. I hadn't seen that out of Matt Manning until recently. I knew the stuff was there, but it seems like he's really taken some strides, even in two innings. And I know people are going to say that I'm being hyperbolic because of the small sample size, but even in the two innings he threw, he just looked like a much more confident, more well-rounded pitcher. And even though it is two innings, these are the moments where these guys kind of make their bones. This is where people take notice is in spring training. If you want to make the team, this is where you got to show your worth. And I think so far... He passed his first test with flying colors. Really happy to see Matt Manning pitching some good baseball yesterday in Lakeland. That'll do it for segment number one. When I come back here for segment number two and three, we're going to air the first part of the interview back and forth that I did with Jeff Ellis of Lockdown Indians here for Crossover Week. We will be right back. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. 
the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Just want to remind everyone that this segment is going to be brought to you by Locked On Today. We're covering everything you need to know here on Locked On Tigers, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, everybody, for segment number two. Let's jump right into it. Looking forward to sharing this little fun interview that I did with Jeff Ellis of Locked On Indians here for Crossover Week. Thank you very much, everybody. Hope you enjoy that, and we'll be right back here at the end to wrap things up. Welcome in, everybody. As I stated at the beginning, it is a crossover week, and the first crossover show that we are doing this week for the AL Central is a organization that is admittedly very near and dear to my heart, and that is the Cleveland Indians. We are joined today by the host of Lockdown Indians, Jeff Ellis. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I, I know these are supposed to be rival teams, and there were parts where I disliked the Tigers, but I got to say, uh, as a near 40-year-old, Old Tiger Stadium has a special place in my heart. Went there so many times. Still a place I, I think back to and enjoy. So uh, Detroit, also an organization with a special place in my heart. So this should be a fun one. For sure, for sure. And, and it's I, I think I said this after the Tigers hired A.J. Hinch, is that the Tigers right now, over the last several years, have become one of the more likable organizations in baseball. And the reason for that is when you look at the record that they've put up against your Indians and the record they've had against the twins and every, most of the other teams that they've played, uh, you become pretty likable when you're going 15 and four against a baseball team year in and year out. But I, I did want to talk about the Indians a little bit on here, because I think that there's, there are some parallels between what may be starting up in Cleveland here and what the Tigers have been going through over the last several years. And that is kind of that dreaded word of rebuild. You know, the Tigers hit that reset button later than they should have. And I've, I've gone on about that ad nauseum, so I won't bore you with it, but it was midway through 2017. The team was struggling and they hit the reset button with Verlander being gone and Upton and JD Martinez, Kinsler eventually gone. And they traded away a, a whole lot of top end talent and got back very little for it. But I guess you look at where the Indians are. This is a team that, uh, by all accounts, will still be competitive this year. I guess just to start off, what in your opinion, what's the outlook right now? Like, do you believe that this is a team that has the intention of competing for an American League wild card spot, or is this just kind of a we're gonna the the time's gonna dwindle down and then we're gonna start trading away some more prospects? I mean, what's kind of the general mood of the fan base? I guess the mood of the fan base is one thing. Uh, it's it's been you know obviously an off season with. I am very pro uh, getting a new mascot, but for many people, it's like between the mascot change, the Lindor uh, trade, the cutting of payroll and the, uh, you know, just the recent stuff that is coming out of there that we have both handled on our podcasts uh, with Mickey Calloway. Uh, the general mood is, is very low and it's, 
I mean, the Indians have always kind of struggled. They've always been kind of the third place team in town as long as there's been three teams. Mm-hmm. And with the Browns finally not being uh, a complete doormat, I think they're, you know, even at 30, I think they'll fill the 30%, but it's going to be interesting to see at what point they do not fill. Me personally, um, spending time in and around that organization as much as I did, basically living in double A for parts of three seasons. I am, I'm not all doom and gloom. Uh, I think it's a team that can contend for the wild card. The pitching staff is built up well, and they have depth that is the, still the envy of most teams. They're going to have three to four arms sitting there in AAA who would be four or fives, at least fives for, I, I would argue, a third of baseball. So they have that depth, and the lineup is actually, it, call me crazy, I think it might be better than last year. Uh, I know people are out there uh, saying, how can that be? But when you look at some of the the chances for players maturing, especially by the mid-season point when they're going to call up some of these prospects, having added Eddie Rosario, I, I, I'm not... I'm not ready to, I don't think they're close to rebuild. They've never wanted to rebuild. It's the same reason they never went all in. Uh, I wanted them to go all in multiple times, but that's not their belief. Their whole thing is once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. You know, their best postseason run was when most of their pitching staff was hurt. Right. And they just want to keep getting there. Cause when, if you can squeak in uh, magic can happen and that's basically what they're doing. And when you look at farm system ranks, I think Keith Law was the high man on them. He put them like three or four, mm-hmm. but they're in, you know, a top 10 farm team while being a team that's been contending since what, 2013, that's weirdly impressive. Uh, but I think they're just going to keep trying to do this. And yes, it does help when you trade away uh, what three stars in the last two years, mm-hmm. but in all of those trades, you know, it's like you go back and you look at uh, the Bauer deal. They didn't net uh, a top prospect. You look at the Clevenger deal. I don't think there's anyone who made, you know, all three of those deals while they provided players that I'm some I'm higher on than others. None of them netted like the, the gold stud prospect. They netted useful players that I think will help, but it is, uh, it's interesting to see how this season will progress, but I, I still think they'll contend. I mean, I have, you know, the twins fans would eat me alive for this, but I mean, I still have concerns with that twins pitching staff. I think, they are just as vulnerable as they were a year ago. I, I think the White Sox look to be the class. What's your take of this division? I mean, I, I'm I've been big on the White Sox for a couple of years now. I I just think you they are to me the antithesis of how the Tigers have gone about things. Where so that was a, a rebuild that was perfectly timed, and they traded all these star players when their value was highest with sale and Quintana and Eaton and the return they got back was excellent. I thought they did. They took massive strides a year ago. I think that lineup is ridiculous. And you know, that there's that, that kind of mystery box of what happened with the manager there and bringing in LaRusa and that, that is going to, is going to stir up some controversy and, and should have, I I'm, so I'm pretty big on them. You know, the twins will always be competitive, at least, you know, under their current regime, but they're another team. And I feel, I feel bad saying this because I'm I'm friends with Nash Walker, who does a great job with Lockdown Twins, but I I always have a hard time buying into them when they, you know, they've gone so many opportunities without winning a playoff game. You know, even last year they had a golden opportunity against an Astros team that was under 500 in a three-game set and couldn't couldn't even sneak squeak out one. So you know, I I I think they'll be really competitive. And look with the Indians, the the way I felt about them is 
there is a way, and I think this is the way they're going to try to go about things. There is a way to retool without necessarily having to hit that whole reset button. Like if you are a well-run organization, look at the the current you know, teams in baseball right now that are kind of at the top of their game. The Dodgers never tanked. The Yankees never tanked. The Nationals never tanked. Yes, there are instances like the Cubs did when Epstein got there, but the reason for that was the fact that that was an organization that didn't have a lot of major league talent and had even less talent uh, down in the farm system. You look at what the Indians are doing I get the impression that they are going to do all they can to remain competitive, to not isolate the fan base here. And you know what? If they have a few years where they're between 75 to 80 wins, yeah, that, that'll be tough. But I think you look at the moves that they've made over the last several years, trading guys when their their stock has been at the at their highest. They've gotten a plethora of prospects back. And you, know, you don't want to see anybody get injured, but baseball is a business. And you look at what – the, the three guys they've traded away, the three stars, like you said, are actually four if you want to in, include uh, Kluber and, and Clevenger in there. So, that you know, the three pitchers and Lindor, uh, Bauer was excellent a year ago, but played, you know, was not so great in the latter part of 2019 and is no longer a red. Mike Clevenger will, I think, come back and be very good. I think at his best, he's a top 15 pitcher in baseball, but injured Tommy John going to miss all of this season. Corey Second Kluber, one of those too, which is always scary. Uh, Corey Kluber pitched all of one inning, I believe it was, with the the Rangers a season ago and is now a member of the New York Yankees. I mean, if we're talking about winning trades, it's kind of hard to, even with the you know, kind of so-so return that some people believe they may have gotten initially, it's kind of hard to view any of those and be like, all right, well, the, the Indians lost that deal. I mean, I think, again, to kind of compare and contrast with my own team, it's like the Tigers traded Verlander in 2017. They got back a, a catching pro- prospect in Jake Rogers, a pitching prospect in Franklin Perez, and a center fielder in Daz Cameron. Daz Cameron had a 700-something OPS in AAA a couple of years ago. Jake Rogers got called up in 2019 and had a 481 OPS. And Franklin Perez has pitched, I believe, 20 innings with the Tigers since coming over there. And Verlander went on to win, the, win a Cy Young and won what was ultimately a tainted world championship with Houston. Uh, you haven't had that uh, kind of return with Detroit. So is there kind of a, a maybe not, maybe patience isn't the right word, but I feel like with the Indians, the other thing that they have is they've had a fair amount of success with the current regime that is there kind of a trust within the fan base that, you know what, I know we're, we're trained Lindor and I know there's frustration, but is there a general belief that the, they will be able to write this ship and within a few years, they'll have a team that's back to kind of where they were 2016 through 2018 there. It, you know, it is interesting because a big thing going through Cleveland Twitter about a month ago was how do you trade, you know, Kluber, Carrasco, Lindor, Bauer and Clevenger, and they didn't get a single top 100 prospect because it was either MLB or Baseball America had released their lists. And, right. and, and the thing with the Indians, well, there's two things. When you look at those trades, they prioritized now. You know, Fran Mil Reyes was the center of right. the the Bauer deal. Like to, to look at any other way is disingenuous. Uh, they with adding uh, Naylor and Quantrill, I'll stand. I think Gabriel Arias is someone they're incredibly high on higher than most and that's that's the second part the indians have i don't spending time in in and around them they look at things differently i don't know if you looked at the group chat back when they made the clevenger deal but i was like in there going you have to understand they they look at everything differently like they would not want luis uh, campesino or Com- i'm terrible with pronunciations 
but the catcher who was like one of their top prospects at the Padres, I'm like, mm-hmm. no, they're spending, this is a team with a $40 million payroll and they're spending 8 million of it on catching because they value defense so much of that position. And they have 40 million shortstops and like three outfield prospects. They, they do things differently. They look at things differently. Their boards stack up differently. And with their deals, they go for, they do like safety. It's interesting because they draft for ceiling and trade for safety, hmm. but they also go with, you know, when you, you go back and you talk about the, the Verlander deal, I kind of liked it at the time, even as well, someone, I did too. I even did as too. Yeah. I was, I was never a Daz guy. Like I just, with uh, Rogers, I was like, he was the best defensive catcher and all of a sudden he was hitting, but you know, I've something the Astros have done. And I realized this uh, as I followed prospects is they're very good at uh, inflating value, mm-hmm. putting guys at the right level. And I got suckered in by that. Uh, and Perez just own set of issues, but the Indians would for, they're never doing like a three for one. They always want as many pieces as possible. So they have a better chance of hitting They're They're definitely going for as many eggs in the basket. So they just, they just do things very differently. It's like I said, you can even go back to that Bauer deal. There's a lot of teams that would have been happy to settle for, you know, a uh, Tramel. And he was the biggest prospect in that trade. And he was one of the biggest prospects traded at last deadline. And the Indians had what another chance to add him if they wanted. And they didn't because they'd rather, they definitely go for the more is better approach. And it's, it's different. It's, it makes it a lot of fans want splash and that just doesn't come in the Indians deal. And when this last deal happened, I wasn't the biggest fan, but that's just because, you know, I, I not the biggest wolf and green person. Those were kind of more periphery guys for me, but uh, at the same time, someone like myself, I can sit back and be like, this is an organization who they don't, they've won like 70% of their trades over the last decade. I'm going to mm-hmm. sit back and appreciate it, but there's in the fan base, at least what you see in the Twitter basis, right. uh, people are, it is funny how often people will get so mad and then they have to walk it back. No, I, I see that completely. And, and I, of course, you know, in, in the moment, there's always that frustration, especially when you're trading away star players. Now, the, the point you made about the Indians farm system is very true. They're a depth organization. And, and you, a lot of the arguments I've gotten with into with people about the, the Tigers farm system is like, yes, you know what? They've tanked for four years and they got Torkelson out of that. And they got Mize out of that. And they got Matt, Ma- Matt Manning out of that. And they've gotten Riley Green, you know, some really good top-tier talent. You know, the, the core of your farm system, like, like where you kind of make your bones, is not those top-end guys. Because any person could take top-five talent in a draft. It is those depth pieces, those guys where if you have an in- instance in your season where somebody gets injured, you can call up a guy from, from the farm system and at least have him be a replacement level, if not just good. And, and that's somewhere where I think the Indians have thrived in uh, over the last you know, half, over the last decade, really, in terms of their farm system has been uh, that kind of depth. I mean, it was that core that they built through the system, which helped them win three straight uh, American League Central crowns, win the pennant in 2016, break the, the American League consecutive wins record in 2017. Now, I, I did want to focus in on one part because I've talked about this a bunch about the Indians organization. And I, there is a lot of frustration, mainly regarding ownership. And I, and I will ask about that because there are some par- uh, parallels between them and the Tigers. But the Indians have an immaculate record when it comes to starting pitching development. I mean, it's 
It's absolutely crazy when you look at the amount of guys that they've had go through their system. Now, some guys, they didn't draft, like Bauer, they didn't draft, but they they righted the ship with him. They fixed him when, when he got there from Arizona. And you look at just the assembly line of pitchers that have either ranged from good serviceable major league pitchers to all-star caliber Cy Young level talent. My question about this is, and I've tried to ask before, and some I've just kind of gotten like generic answers, but how is that? And that, that's the reason I think you guys are going to continue to compete for a while. How is it that year in and year out, there's another pitching prospect coming up through the, the Cleveland system that seems like they get to the major league, uh, seems like they get to the movies and they're ready to go from pitch number one. It is interesting because, you know, you go back, Kluber was a trade, Clevenger was right. a trade, Bauer was a trade. And the the interesting thing with this is like they're developing starters at this fantastic rate and a lot of it, like I, I, my first year where I spent a lot of time in double A was Clevenger's breakout year. And I remember I went to double A and everyone was like, and I went there kind of like head down because it was a bad team. There was, I mean, the miners were very weak for the Indians at that point in general. And that team, you went there and you go, I don't know if there's going to be a single future major leaguer. And I go there and I like Clevenger's third start. I'm like, okay, this guy is one of their top three prospects. And then I looked across at the corner outfielder for this player I'd never heard of named Yandy Diaz. And I'm like, he is also one of their top five prospects where these guys come from. And talking to Clevenger that year, he was like, when he was with the Angels, they gave him like a binder. The Indians instead like broke down his his approach and really got to work with him uh, on like the biomechanics and just his body and things like that. And you know, a a Tigers example of this I've talked about recently is Kyle Dowdy, who the Indians got in a trade that I kind of regret now, like uh, Kyle is a very intelligent guy. He's a great uh, depth arm for the Indians, but that's uh, Willie Castro would be a nice addition in Cleveland right now with uh, what we're seeing with him. But he was uh, the secondary piece along with Leonis uh, Martin. And he came to Cleveland and within a month he was throwing 98, 99, 100. Now the Akron gun can run a little hot, but he went other places and was throwing and he ended up being a rule five pick. He was returned to the Indians, but everyone saw that velocity jump. Now he is a solidly built dude. If you ever been around him, he is strong. <laughs> he's not the person he, he, you know, again, very intelligent. I sat up there with him while he was, he would sit in the press box they, and they would have a lot of the guys up there. Like I sat next to uh, Tristan McKenzie in the press box and they're charting every pitch and they're talking about it. And, uh, you know, talking about pitch development and they're charting each other and tracking this. And Kyle's very smart, but also, like I said, he's very strong, but the Indians just got to work with him. And within a month, he had gained like three miles an hour from that trade with the tight. They saw stuff there. And the Indians also know what teams are awful at pitcher development. You will see them target organizations that can't develop. And they know that they know which ones aren't doing well. And they will, uh, keep adding players for a time it was the reds they were adding pitchers from the reds they were adding minor league cast offs from the reds they were seeing if they could find something there and you know the reds are now a phenomenal organization for that i don't want to belittle anyone who's there i think they're one of the best they've gone out of their way to remedy that situation but the indians knew who couldn't develop and they would target players and they also would just sit there and look for guys and be like okay we think we can help them in Shane Bieber through like 8990 at UC Santa Barbara. And for as much as anyone wants to talk about him, that draft class, he was the third. They took three pitchers all of a similar ilk. 
which were control specialists, some of the lowest walk rates in the country. And Bieber was the third one in that group. Like if they thought he was going to be anywhere near now, they wouldn't have taken, you know, Andrew Landtrip before him. They might've tried to take Savali first, because honestly, Savali was higher rated in that class by most places, but they saw stuff there and they were able to work with him. The, the interesting other side of this for as good as they can do with all of those starters, uh, they have some relief pitching depth right now. But when you look at this team in terms of their ability to develop relievers, it's awful. Uh, they have not developed yeah. relievers internally. Like the one I always bring up on the show, it may not for Tigers fans, they probably don't remember David Risky, but like David Risky is a top five reliever in recent Indians history in terms of war. You got Paul Shuey, you've got, um, gosh, I'm just having my brain shut down. Uh, Cody Allen, guys like that. It's for whatever reason, they can develop starters and not relievers. And the other interesting thing is they've been really bad with high school pitchers. They have taken a lot of high school arms and given them six figure bonuses, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they haven't, you look at their pitching staff until Tristan McKenzie here, they have not had a, a high schooler that they developed in almost a decade. So it's, it is interesting to see that regard of it. They, they, they returned to what was successful this past draft. They drafted arms that fit their mold. They had gone for ceiling the previous few years, but they went back to a very similar type. And then you go to that Clevenger deal like Joey Cantillo is exactly that type. Like they, they cert- seem to have a specific type of arm they do best with. They're trying various things, but it just comes down to, you know, it's a, they are so analytical. They sit there and they can break down what isn't working. And if a player is willing to sit down and work with them, uh, they'll, it, it, there typically has always been improvement. It's not always foolproof. And I do think at the same time, for all of Trevor Bauer's ups and downs, I think he did foster a very competitive environment with those oh, yeah. pitchers in the big leagues. And I do think Bauer helped. Like I am not the biggest Bauer guy. People who listen to the podcast know that, but I think he helped. I think between him and Clevenger and Bieber, it became a contest. And one thing we know, it's like these players are competitive at everything through the years as an Indians fans. We've heard about the Mario Kart, the RBI baseball, right. everything's a competition. So when you get that group of guys and they're trying to develop pitches and do things like that, I think that also helps. So I think some of it is just the players themselves. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action because football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Before we start segment number three and continue with my interview with Jeff Ellis of Lockdown Indians, I want to let all of you know that this segment is brought to you by Lockdown MLB. Join walking baseball encyclopedia Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call him Sully every day on Lockdown MLB for a unique look at the majors both past and present. Featuring exciting guest interviews, routine check-ins from the Lockdown MLB Network's team of local experts, and insightful analysis of the day's biggest stories, Locked On MLB is the single best source for daily baseball talk. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to my interview with Jeff Ellis of Lockdown Indians. We're dying as as fans here to figure out a, a, a way of cracking the code here. I, I mean, this is an organization that currently has three starting pitching prospects 
and I believe the top 25 prospects in baseball, depending on who you ask. And we saw two of them last year in, in uh, Casey Mize and Tarek Scooball, and they struggled a bit. Scooball was all right. Uh, after the first uh, two rough outings, he was, he only had one really bad start after that, but it did seem like there was another gear that was missing. And one of the big reasons why I was so excited about the AJ Hinch hire was I knew he's an analytically minded guy. And the, one of the first things he did was he went out and he got Chris Fetter, who was the the pitching coach for the university of Michigan for several years, which, I mean, I, I don't know how, how much people who listen to this podcast follow college baseball, but you don't make the college world series in the big 10 and you sure as hell don't do it at Michigan. I mean, they hadn't made it there in 19 since 1984 and he did it with a group of pitchers that was f- phenomenal. I mean, Tommy Henry and, and Blake Kaufman and Jeff Chriswell, he did an unbelievable job with them and the Yankees interviewed him. And there were a lot of Yankees fans that I knew that who were disappointed when he wasn't hired. So yeah, we're looking for that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of, secret sauce, I guess, for someone to come along and, and, and find a way to develop these pitchers because outside of Justin Verlander, and that's really the biggest issue here, Jeff, is with this organization is outside of Justin Verlander, who, and I've made this argument before, probably in terms of pure stuff, might be the greatest pitching prospect of the last, outside of Strasburg, uh, maybe the greatest pitching prospect of the last 25 years, you know, and, and I think he can out- compete with Strasburg. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I, it was I, the reason I go with Strasburg is he was just such a, he was just such a, a a phenom when he came up and he was like the first big draft pick of that and not the first big pick, but like the first number one pick, I believe of that organization. And it was like, it was such a huge deal when he got called up, but you know, Verlander was the man, but outside of that, you know, Porcello was all right, but went to a better, went to another team and had better seasons. Falmer was with the Mets before he came to the Tigers. I mean, you can get all the prospects that you want, but if you don't have a, a good staff around you, good scouts, good pitching coaches, you're going to fall into a lot of wasted talent. And that's kind of the issue that the Tigers have ran into and a team like the Indians has not. And I, I just I want to transition here because I've, I've really loved, I really enjoyed watching the Indians over the last, I mean, we're, we're close to a decade now, but let's cap it at about eight years, you know, since 2013 and, it's been interesting watching that core grow and it was a team that won a ton of games and several division titles had that amazing run in 2016. The, the parallels that I see between them and the tigers right now is you have fans right now who, if, if not for COVID would be standing outside of Comerica park, literally on their knees, begging for Chris Illich to spend some money. I mean, they Robbie Grossman, received a two-year, $10 million deal from the Tigers this year. That was the first multi-year deal that the Tigers had handed out to a free agent since Justin Upton, and that was five years ago, I believe. So we're talking about four four or five straight off-seasons in which they don't sign a single player to a multi-year deal. I think there's some parallels between them and the Indians because you always got the impression that the Indians' core – was as good as anybody's from 16, even, even to last year where they always came up short was that they went up against these big market teams that were, that went out and spent money on, you know, the, the John Lester's of the world, or, you know, take, take your pick on wh- whichever guy the Yankees got or the Astros when they traded for Verlander and signed Brantley, a- any one of those guys, is there a, uh, is the disappointment in terms of, why the Indians maybe haven't been able to get over the top, though they came as close as anybody could in 2016. Is it kind of similar to Detroit in the sense that it's 
a lot of fingers are being pointed at ownership or is it just kind of a, well, you know, they gave it their best shot type of mentality. I think, you know, everything gets pointed back to ownership. It's gotten, uh, it's gotten toxic. You know, there's no other way around it. And For sure. it's a situation where, uh, you know, it doesn't help the owner here for Cleveland, uh, just needs to keep his mouth shut. Uh, <laughs> two years ago telling fans to just enjoy Frankie Lindor or last year when he was talking about like our best fans buy luxury boxes or something along the, it was like, you know, he sets that situation up uh, where as a fan of sports, I appreciate that the Dolans just get out of the way. Mm -hmm. We have seen so much meddling ownership and uh, it's nice to have an owner gets out of the way, but uh, sometimes it's best if he fades in the wall and I, I, you know, for Indians fans, really the story that never gets reported and it just comes down to it is John Sherman. Uh, Kansas City did more to hurt right. the Indians by the losing a minority owner. And frankly, like if the Royals don't go up for sale, there's a chance in the next decade, John Sherman is the Indians owner. So it's uh, that's it's an interesting situation for the Indians there. Just to go back to the, I mean, interesting. And then we're just seeing I mean, right now, according to uh, Spot Rack, we, you know, I can't pronounce anything. That's kind of one of the running gags on the show. When you're looking at just payroll, I mean, the Indians are currently only beating the Orioles and Pirates. Mm-hmm. The Tigers are outspending them this year uh, by a significant margin. But I it's, do well. I do need to say though, the biggest reason for that they Mickey. would be, yeah, they would be in that camp. In fact, I believe they would be second to last. If not for the Miguel Cabrera thank you contract that they handed out six yeah, years ago, but yeah, your point remains the same. There is a big contract on the books for sure, still. And you know, I, I I'm hoping like like I liked the Grossman deal. Uh, I know I saw some stuff in Cleveland where they were like, "Can you believe this guy? The Indians let go was uh, got five million dollars. Like it was a way to defend the Indians. Like you can't get free agents in this market." And it's like Grossman's a solid outfielder. Like at five million. It, would it have made more sense to spend like 3 million more and get Eddie Rosario? I think so. Yes. Um, I don't know if he just gave the Indians a bit of a discount because it's going to be a chance to contend. But I, I guess my hope with the, with the Tigers is that they will when the time is right. And, you know, you talked about the, the wave of arms. I, the, the pirates are, you know, my, my background as a writer was I was a draft writer at, at scout in 24 seven before those uh, got rid of baseball or went away. And the Tigers, like I've like Alex Fayeto was my guy. I know that hasn't worked out, but like I've loved all the arms they have taken uh, recently. And someday maybe they'll draft a shortstop in the first round. Uh, that, that's always my favorite. Like my favorite piece of draft trivia in general is they've drafted one one pure shortstop like in the first round of the last thirty years, or sorry, the last fifty years, which is like the quarterback of the N- <laughs> the MLB right. draft. And it's so odd to me that they still no shortstops. I think like the last technical shortstop was Scott Moore in like 2001. And he was very quickly moved to third base. But when I look at the Tigers, you hope those arms you have, like, I think Spencer Turnbull is maybe the most underrated starter in baseball right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. He's got a um, shot. No, I mean, there's look, there's a lot of people within Detroit circles, even going back to two years ago, who said, you know what? He might not have the, he might not be as, as polished as a mize or a scooball, but there, there are those people who believe that within the organization, his stuff is as good as almost anybody. Yeah. So like if that pitching starts, 
it should all start hitting this year. And then like, sometimes you have to be, you know, more lucky than good. For instance, like, you know, Matt Manning, I don't know if it's true or not. You get so much smoke, but like, I was told that year, the Tigers really liked Tyler Kolick and Matt Manning was the guy they settled for. Now Kolick is essentially out of baseball and Manning right. is one of the top prospects. When you look at that group with Mize, Manning, all the guys you talked about, uh, and then even the lesser guys, like I said, I, I'm not willing to give up on Fiedo. I still think that fastball slider combo means he can be a really good reliever when, mm-hmm. when he's healthy, but the, but Joey Wentz and I mean, Alex Lang is imperfect, but there was reasons why people liked him and thought he could be a back end guy. And once all that pitching hits and it should all hit this year, maybe they start actually investing in, in a bit of you know with hitters and stuff that is is my hope for that organization and that team because they do like a lot of players and plays I, they they did miss the window on their trades not as bad as say the texas rangers have but true yes you know it's it, they have enough pieces like green's far away torvalson's probably a year away just for service time manipulation yeah, right. uh, a few guys are gonna start coming in but I, my hope for tigers fans is that starting next year, they'll start spending more. And just, I look at the team now and I'm like, they, they spent oddly. Like I, maybe I'm crazy, but I don't know if I would have given Matt Boyd arbitration or Michael Fulmer arbitration. I I understand the sunk cost. And if they rebound, maybe you have a trade asset this year, but if they had not given arbitration to either of those players, maybe they could have gotten a nice kind of secondary tier youngish talent like again eddie rosario isn't perfect but he's not that old you could have maybe gotten him for a set amount of years and that would have it takes away one of the spots that you need to build from but i'm like i said i'm it after all those years of spending as an indians fan and being jealous of the tigers it's odd to see them being for lack of a better word just so passive uh even as like, like i feel correct me if i'm wrong on this but as a, a tigers person isn't this like this year is supposed to be like the ascent year, right? If we're looking at like a bell yes. type of curve, this is the mm-hmm. first season of moving up. So I would hope that you you reach out there and find someone maybe who's at the right age, give yourself a little bit more of an opportunity. Um, again, I, I like the Grossman signing relative to everything else, but it, it just struck me as odd to yeah. It, yeah. everything they did just seemed to be more of like, well, you know, Nomar Mazaria's never hit. But if he hits this year, we can flip him for something. It just felt like a very um, flea market approach to free agency, for lack of a better word. So that will do it. This was a long interview, and there's a lot more to it, and we're going to play it all on tomorrow's podcast. But that will do it for today's show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Tigers. While you're at it, go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a written positive five-star review of this program, and you can follow the show on Twitter, at Tigers. I appreciate all of you listening and sticking with me for what is one of the longer podcasts that I've done and tomorrow will probably probably be more of the same as I continue my interview with Jeff Ellis had a lot of fun talking to him so we will be right back here tomorrow everybody thanks for listening have a great rest of your day and go Tigers